This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in California talking about one family, two sons, a heroic escape that made national news, and a serial killer. Then, we'll discuss a mortician who turned his family's funeral home into a nightmare cremation factory. Buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Golden State. As a child of the 80s, we were taught to be polite, use our manners, and respect adults. If someone asks you for help, you help them. After all, adults don't lie. In the same breath, we were taught about stranger danger. But what is a stranger? What do they look like? A mean-looking person is obviously a stranger, right? But what if they look like your parents? Like the people you go to church with? Or your next-door neighbor? Are those strangers? The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children are actually now telling parents to avoid using this term altogether. I mean, it's easy to remember. It rhymes. But it is a blanket statement, and it doesn't really fit. Children are much more likely to be harmed by someone they know. Most children do not understand the concept of a stranger. I asked my eight-year-old, what's a stranger? Well, someone I don't know. What if they tell you they know me? Well, then they aren't a stranger. No, just because they know your mother does not mean they are not a stranger. What about the neighbors? Well, they're not strangers. We know them. They live next door. No, we see them outside, but we don't know them. Those are strangers. An average of 1,154 children are entered into the FBI's National Crime Information Center per day. That's 24 hours. There is no waiting period to report a child missing, just so everyone is aware. My story is about one of these children and how one seemingly normal day turned into every parent's worst nightmare. And just when you think it's over, there's so much more to this story. Stephen Gregory Stainer was born in 1965 in Merced, California. He was the third of five children born to Delbert and Kay Stainer. He had three sisters and one brother. He spent his childhood on a 20-acre ranch. Lots of room, family was Mormon, attended church every week. Stephen was super close with his dad. He was a shy kid, but very polite. The family moved in 1971, sold their farm, and relocated near Yosemite National Park. Hmm. This was super hard on Stephen. He missed his friends, and they had to give their dog away to a family friend. So... I mean, he was seven. Yeah. So it was pretty tough. Yeah. So in 1972, he was a second grader and had made a few new friends. Every morning, the Stainer kids walked to school together with their big brother, Carrie, who was in the sixth grade. Stephen would walk home alone because the older ones got out of school at a different time. Weird. Lacey's making a bit. Well, it's the 70s. I don't know anything about other than when I went to school, I guess. So to me, that seems strange. I mean, Max walks to school every day, but dad's always with him. Right. Like, he's not walking alone. Yeah. Did you get out of school? At different times? Yeah. 
No. We all got out at three. I feel like. Well, now older kids would get out earlier than we would. Hmm. Like some only went a half a day. Some would get out Mm -hmm. at like two o'clock. So not everybody. Okay. He would get into trouble sometimes when he would not come straight home from school. So Hmm. he would stop at a friend's or hang out or play. And his parents would be pissed, like panicking. Where are you? Why did you not? You know, but he would always show up at home. I've been playing with so-and-so. So on December 4th. Kay was planning on picking up Stephen from school because it was sleeting and cold. Kay gets to the school and Stephen had already left. Mm. So she got held up with errands or whatever. So he had to cross the Yosemite Parkway to get to his house. And that's the way every kid walked. Okay. So it's not unusual. So Stephen gets to the gas station on his walk home. And a man stops him and asks him if his mother wants to donate anything to their church. He says, probably, I'll show you where I live. You know, if you want to follow me home. So the man's like, no, 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 just get in. I'll drive you. It's sleeting. It's cold. So Stephen gets inside the white Buick with another man driving. These men were Irvin Murphy and convicted child rapist no. Kenneth Parnell. Oh, my God. They both worked at Yosemite National Park. Murphy is described as a trusting but naive man, and he had been enlisted by Kenneth, who told him he was an aspiring minister Ugh. to kidnap a child. The two headed to the mall earlier that day in Merced. Irvin wanted to go Christmas shopping, and Kenneth bought some gospel music. He said he wanted to pass it out to kids. He told Irvin, the kids in this area need rescued, and I need to kidnap one and take them home with us so I can raise them in a religious environment. What? So they go to the gas station where Stephen and other children were walking past on their way home from school. They saw seven-year-old Stephen walking alone and approached him. So once he's inside their vehicle, they begin driving away from the direction of his house. And Stephen's like, hey, this is not oh my this God, is not the cute. way that my house is. And they tell him, you're not going home. Over the next few days, Kenneth said he called the parents and they told him that it's okay for Stephen to spend the night with you. Ugh. So meanwhile, Kay gets home. Stephen's not there. But like I said, he had gotten in trouble before for not coming straight Mm -hmm. home. So they weren't too shocked. By three o'clock, when Kay went to get the other kids, she asked and no one had seen him. She called all his little friend's parents and they all said they hadn't seen him either. By 5 p.m., they call the police and report him missing. So the days drag on, search parties are assembled, flyers are passed out, and there's no sign of Stephen. He just disappeared into thin air. There's no witnesses and no leads. So, Irvin and Kenneth had taken seven-year-old Stephen to a cabin in Cathy's Valley, California. Kenneth eventually told the little boy that he talked to his parents, and they told him they didn't want him anymore. They had too many kids. That is so... mm. And they didn't love him anymore, and that Kenneth could have him and be his daddy now. I know. So many trigger warnings in the story, like, I'm about to cry. My mm. whole my whole neck is red right now. Oof. He asked over and over again to go home, and he was told no 
that they did not want him. Kenneth molested little Stephen that first night, and he began raping him two weeks later. He fed him cough syrup to keep him sedated and started brainwashing him. Mm. I know my voice is cracking. Kenneth gave Stephen a new name and began calling him Dennis Parnell, dyed his hair, and told him to start calling him Dad. He told him he had been granted legal custody of him. He did keep his same birthday. And he moved them around California and enrolled them into several different schools. A woman named Barbara came to live with him for a little while. In 1973, she was supposedly hired to babysit Stephen, but she also sexually abused him. Gross. What what about the other guy from the beginning? Where'd he He go? He just kind of... He left. was just kind of yeah. Used he for was that. just kind of used to bring him, bring in the kid. Like he was drove the getaway car. Like he never molested Stephen or anything, as far as I read. So Kenneth was the one that wanted to be a pastor. Yes, yeah, supposedly a minister, and yeah. Oh God! Yeah, he was a convicted child rapist before this happened. Stephen was terrified of Kenneth, but oh my, God. Kenneth gave him freedom to do whatever he wanted to do. He as he got older, he smoked, he drank. He bought him a new dog. They moved from motel to trailer to shack, just all over. Meanwhile, Stephen's family is going fucking nuts. I mean, they're trying to locate their son. Dad's become distant. Mom is devastated. She wouldn't even leave their house in case he called or came home. I truly cannot imagine. Oh, I can't. And And you've got four other children. And to not know if they're alive or dead. Oh, my God. I truly... That, I feel like, is worse than knowing. You know, than I, not I, knowing. I would think so, too. Yeah. I don't know. But, like, oh, my I God. I can't even put myself... I know. You couldn't... You'd never want to move. You know what I mean? Change like, your you phone number. do anything. Nothing. Leave your... I mean, like, mom didn't want to leave the house because what if he comes home? Oh, What yeah. if somebody calls and I'm not here? Absolutely. Like, oh, my God. So, older brother, Carrie, felt very neglected and yeah. he would pull his hair out. Oh. Dad would drive around looking for graves or following cars that he thought might have a little boy, you know, mm-hmm. just devastated. Stephen has moved 260 miles away to a town called Kamshi. He went to school as Dennis. He was polite and shy. He made friends and played on the high school football team. He had a girlfriend. He was now 14. They asked about his mom and why he didn't just call her because he was just him and his quote-unquote dad. And he said, my mom doesn't know about me and she doesn't want me. So he didn't abduct any other children or anything? Like it was just... Not at this point. Okay, because I'm thinking... And this is mm-hmm. so dark. He's 14. He's 14 now. This yeah. is a predator. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, God. So one time he was upset and was crying, telling his friends, I just want to go home to my real home. <sighs> but his friends had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. He wasn't sure where he was, who who he was, where he was from. I mean, he was seven. Yeah. I and now he's 14. Yeah. So he would run away and he would come back. Because he probably had no idea where no his idea. hometown was. No idea. Or anything. Yeah. Seven, seven years old. Yeah. And now you, you don't, what was your mom's name? You know what I mean? Like, you mm. don't remember. Mm. And the, you're being brainwashed into thinking they don't love me and want me anyway. So, so why would I go home? Ugh. Kenneth knew he was getting older and he was making friends and was worried that he might slip up and tell them something 
so he moved Stephen to Point Arena, California, to a shack in the middle of nowhere. And this is where he began telling Stephen he wanted him to help him kidnap another little boy. Because like you said, he was too old now. Oh, gross. Stephen would sabotage every attempt Kenneth would make to try to kidnap another child. In early 1980, Kenneth had his sights set on a five-year-old little boy named Timothy White. He would follow him home from school. He walked halfway with a friend and halfway by himself. On Valentine's Day, Kenneth and one of Stephen's friends, 15-year-old Randall, drove to Ukiah, California to grab him. He paid Stephen's friend $50 and some drugs and alcohol. They spotted the little boy, and when Randall went up to him, he took off running. He chased him down and threw this baby in the car. When Stephen got home, he saw the little boy in the house, and he was crying and begging to go home. He was told the same thing. Your parents don't love you or want you anymore. And then Stephen started putting it all together. He was lied to and brainwashed. He had been kidnapped just like this little boy. So he knows he has to do something. So he keeps this little boy safe. He would come home from school early. He would keep him beside him in his room and keep him away from Kenneth. So Kenneth could not touch him. He was also making a plan to take this little boy and run. On March 1st, 1980, when Kenneth left the house for work, he worked as a security guard. Oh, my God. I know. Overnight. Stephen grabbed Timmy and ran. He carried this baby when he was tired because he was just five years old. I know it's so incredibly heartbreaking. They were in the middle of nowhere. They walked and hitchhiked over 40 miles in the middle of the night with this baby. And he's 14. He is 14. Good Lord. I know. It's like I'm about to cry. So he finds the police station in Ukiah. God. And goes to drop Timmy off. But Timmy runs after him. I know. I know. The police were like, you know, who are you? What is going on? And that's when he tells him, my name is Steven Stainer. I think my birthday is April 18th, 1965. I know my first name is Stephen. I've been missing for seven years. Can you even imagine? Absolutely not. I know. I have tears in my eyes. Like, I can't even. So, Timmy is taken home to his parents. He had been missing for a little over two weeks. Wow. Later that evening, the police head to the Stainer house. They tell Kay they have Stephen at a police station in Ukiah, and he's okay. The news station goes fucking nuts, of course. So the first time the Stainers see their son after seven years is on the news. Because they're over 200 miles away. Yeah. So they had to wait till police were finished with all their stuff before they could get to him, which is insane to think about. Stephen tells the reporter that he was never harmed. He was just brainwashed into thinking his parents didn't love him or want him anymore. I cannot imagine... A, this happening, but B, being a mother and hearing those words come out of that is so your child's mouth that yeah. I was told you didn't want me and that you didn't love me. Like, I just, ugh. 
Stephen received a $15,000 reward for Timothy's return, which who the fuck cares, yeah, you know. right. Kenneth was arrested the next day. Thank God. Irvin was charged as an accessory, and so was Randall, the boy that helped him kidnap Timothy. Barbara was not charged with anything, the woman that stayed with him. Wow. She denied knowing that Stephen was kidnapped. Um, but. Yeah. And when all of this, uh, I know. And when all of this investigating and arresting of Kenneth was taking place, they realized he had previous convictions of sodomy from 1951. <sighs> A search of the home where Kenneth and Stephen were staying turned up several Polaroids of Stephen oh dating God. back to when he was seven years old. The police then bring him back in for questioning, and this is how oh, because Stephen's he said family nothing. learned mm. about the sexual abuse and the rape. That's I know this is tough. I oh, my apologies. This this is a tough case. It's super hard to listen to, but Stephen never talked about any of this with the family or media. I mean, you wouldn't want to, you know? No, I, oh. my God. He did confirm in court that he was forced to perform oral sex Ugh. acts and was sodomized by Kenneth over the years. Mm. They held two separate trials. Kenneth was sentenced to seven years, but paroled after just five. Stop. He was not charged with the sexual assault of Stephen because the statute of <gasps> limitations had run out. What do you mean? He was 14? Yes. And they were outside the county he was arrested in. Uh. Mendocino County, California, decided not to prosecute Kenneth for the sexual assault that occurred in their jurisdiction. Oh. Unfucking believable. I know. I know. Kenneth would later go on to work at a no. boy's ranch. Are you freaking kidding me? Swear this to God. is the worst thing. It is terrible. So, going back to the Louisiana thing, I'm not saying I condone any right. crime, right. but if you're a parent and this happens to your kid and they freaking get off the hook, what? It's like he did less been, time than he had. That is so kidnapped. Stephen did less time than the time he had. Stephen is people that are caught with marijuana get a I longer know. It, a hot checks. I swear. I'm just like, I know. Mm. Stephen did not live happily ever after. Oh unfortunately. God. He went to therapy for a while, but soon quit. His dad was the macho man type that didn't think he needed it. <laughs> it was also the 80s, and people didn't have a lot of experience with dealing with mental health, and they just kind of swept him under the yeah. rug. He didn't talk about the sexual abuse ever to anyone. He would talk about football and his friends and his old school, and it kind of sounded like he enjoyed being Dennis. But fuck. That's all he knew. Yeah. I mean, he had to find light in those yeah, shitty days. Yeah. He had a very hard time healing and no one to help guide him through all of these emotions. The family also had a very hard time dealing with all the media and the spotlight Ugh. and the fact that Stephen wasn't seven anymore. His dad took that especially hard. He wasn't his little buddy. He returned a teenager that all these horrible things happened to. It was a lot of work and adjusting for everyone. He had to go back to being called Stephen, not Dennis. He would sometimes forget when his mom called out to him. And she would say, Dennis, and he would answer. Oh, my gosh. I know. There's a lot to unpack. Stephen started school. He was very behind because he had moved around so much. Sure. He didn't have adult helping. There was no stability. He was bullied by other kids for being molested and raped mm. and called 
derogatory, homophobic slurs to the point where he dropped out of school. This is so freaking terrible. He started drinking and did a lot of drugs. He wrecked cars. There was a girl after girl. Mm -hmm. Stephen was eventually kicked out of his parents' house. Which is, I can't, I cannot, I I know, I know. Mm. His relationship with his dad never got any better. But Stephen married Jody Edmondson, who he met through a friend in 1989. And they had two children. He finally had a family of his own. He was a great daddy. He found a job at a pizza parlor. He worked with child abduction groups and talked to kids about stranger danger and safety. He also gave several interviews about his kidnapping. He worked with a network for a mini series called I Know My First Name is Steven, where he made a cameo as a police officer in the series. It was met with rave reviews and was nominated for seven Emmys. So, I mean, he got his life together. Mm-hmm. But tragically, oh no! The night before the Emmys broadcast, Stephen was killed when his motorcycle was struck in a hit and run. Mm. He died at the scene. Over five hundred people attended his funeral. Timmy White, who was now fourteen, the same age Stephen oh. was when he escaped with him, was one of the pallbearers. I know I'm crying. The show did win two Emmys, but what happened next to the Stainer family would leave the nation shocked again. What happened next? What do you mean? On February 15th, 1999, three women vanished in Yosemite National Park. They were last seen having dinner at Cedar Lodge, where they were staying near Yosemite's western edge. Carol's son, her daughter Julie, and her friend Sylvina Peloso... Eventually, after a long search, police found a burned-up car matching the description of Carol's. Inside the trunk were the bodies of Carol and Sylvina. They had been burned. Julie was still missing. The FBI received a letter with a hand-drawn map showing where to find Julie's body. She had been missing for six weeks. She was wrapped in a blanket from Cedar Lodge, where they were staying, There were no suspects, no witnesses. They were questioning anyone with a rap sheet. So you knew it had to be one of these guys, somebody that had done something like this before. Mm -hmm. 20-year-old Joey Armstrong was killed just five months later in July. She was found decapitated in a creek just behind her house. This is now classified as a serial killer. Eyewitnesses saw a powder blue scout in the area. Local people said, hey, that's Carrie Stainer's car. (gasps) Stephen's older older brother. brother. I was was like, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Yeah. He was employed at Cedar Lodge as a handyman. He lived there and spent a lot of time in Yosemite. He had no criminal past, but they had to investigate him. Carrie confessed to the FBI. They took him to Joey's home, and he went over everything with them. What he did, how he did it, he showed them step by step. Like, it's crazy. What in the world? Yeah. Okay. So, so was he in his 30s, 40s at this point? He was in his 
30s. This was right after Stephen was killed in the motorcycle accident. Not like right after. No, but yeah. Afterwards. Just in yeah. sequence of yeah. events. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. Yeah. What so he was arrested. He was taken to jail near Yosemite. Mm. So a reporter comes up there and interviews him before he lawyers up. This joker was asking for a movie of the week to be made about his story like it was Stevens. The reporter half-ass agrees as long as Carrie gives him a full confession, and he does. The next morning, this reporter goes on Good Morning America and goes into detail about how Carrie told him he did it, how he disguised his handwriting in the letter, even how he had someone else lick the envelopes. Everyone knows now. All of America. Carrie tells the FBI he sexually assaulted both teenage girls before he killed them. So this obviously rocks the Sanger family again. All of them. Stephen's children are now in school. The other siblings' children are in school. His parents are still alive. It's just fucking Uh. awful. Yeah. Carrie wants his story told, he said. He felt neglected for far too long. He had begun displaying disturbing signs even before Stephen had been kidnapped. At three, he was diagnosed with trichotillomania. Oh, yeah. Which is the obsessive compulsive hair pulling and was put on medication. Mm-hmm. It stuck with him, and by high school, he was bullied for having all the bald spots. Oh, gosh. At seven, he was having fantasies of abducting and killing women. He Wait, would, yeah. When he was seven? When he was seven. So before this happened Bef- to before this Stephen is so was, bizarre. Yeah, before Stephen was even kidnapped, he said he was having fantasies of abducting and killing women. He would later say he was molested by an uncle at 11. At 18, he was voted most creative at his high school. He was just a normal kid. When Stephen returned, he was once again ignored by everyone. He worked installing windows and lived with the uncle that he would later claim molested him. Yeah. The uncle that he lived with was shot to death in his house and that crime was never solved. What in the hell is going on with all of this? I know. In 1991, Carrie tried to commit suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning, you know, lighting his, turning his car on, sitting in the garage. Mm. He was admitted to a mental institution in 1995 after suffering a nervous breakdown. Basically, his brother's kidnapping, his story, and everything that surrounded his entire life was fucked up, and he was angry about it. He wasn't a drinker. He was always drawing and painting something. He kept to himself. Everyone that met him said he was something, something's off about him. Ugh. Of course, that's just hearsay. I mean, the mental trauma of all of this going on can be harder than someone suffering from PTSD. I mean, it is a form of PTSD. So in September of 2000, Carrie pled guilty of the murder of Joey. He was sentenced to life without parole. Joey was 26. He tied her up, raped her, then decapitated her. He said he attempted to kill two Finnish girls that were visiting Yosemite in 1998, Mm. but their advisor returned and they got away. 
In July of 2002, the trial began for the other three women Carrie had murdered. He claimed insanity, that he was psychotic and delusional, but six doctors that testified on his behalf were unable to prove that he was mentally incompetent, and he was charged with the rape and shooting of 16-year-old Sylvania, the strangulation and shooting of 43-year-old Carol, the raping then slashing of 15-year-old Julie's throat. Carrie Stainer was found guilty of all charges and sentenced to death. Mm. He is currently held at San Quentin on death row pending an appeal. Wow. Carrie Stainer's mugshot is among those shown in the TV series Criminal Minds during the opening. Oh, Mm -hmm. wow. In 2004, Kenneth, the abductor, who is now 72, was convicted of trying to persuade his caretaker's sister to procure a little boy for $500. She reported it to police, and he was arrested. Timothy White testified in his case, and they read Stephen's testimony from his previous trial. He died of natural causes in 2008 in a medical facility in California. Timothy White became a sheriff's deputy in L.A. County, He died at the age of 35 of a pulmonary embolism. What? This is so terrible. That's my story. I know it's awful. It's like, of course, the evil asshole dies from from natural causes in the 70s. Man. Yeah. So there is a show on Hulu called (sighs) Captive Audience. Captive Audience. A real American horror story. It's like a three-part series. And there's... 5,000 articles and mm-hmm. podcasts about this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hard to watch. I don't think I've heard this. Well, let me tell you, I was laying in bed, couldn't sleep, and was on Facebook. And you know how Ranker will pop up yeah. things? And something popped up, and it's like a top 10, blah, blah, whatever. And as I was flipping through, this was like number seven on the list. I'm like, how have I never heard of this case? And then after I decided to do it for California, I saw that there was a freaking Hulu special about it. So oh. I was halfway finished with my case whenever I watched this show yeah. and was like... That would be a hard show to watch. It was very, very hard to watch. As a parent, very hard to watch. Max's dad and I were talking about this the other night because he always asked me, like, what's your case about this yeah. week or whatever. And I was kind of going over the the stranger danger stuff yeah. and how they're saying don't say that. And how I had talked to Max about, you know, what a stranger is, that somebody, Mm -hmm. and he brought up a good point. He's like, you know, the difference in demographics when you're warning children about strangers versus like the South and smaller towns, like where we live versus if you live in LA or Chicago, like warning, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like warning Max about strangers is a totally different conversation than what someone living in a larger metropolitan area would have. You know, like what I would talk about or, you know, what I was warned about growing up was probably very different than what you were warned about growing up in, you know, small, small town. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to know, people are going to, everybody knows, everybody knows Max's dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, 
how am I? I'm trying to. Well, I see you're saying like yeah. telling your kid, oh, don't ride with strangers. It's more than that. It's because, like, for example, let's say I wanted to abduct Max. Obviously, I don't. I'm just saying. I'll knock all this shit over. I'm just saying, <laughs> he, he knows who I am. He's been exactly. to my house. If exactly. I went to his school and was like, hey, yeah. your mom and I were recording. I'm going to bring you back to my house. Yes. He like, would 100% go he with He wouldn't you. look at me and be like, no, I shouldn't. Or, well, you know what I mean. He yeah. wouldn't be like, she's a stranger, quote unquote. Because right. I'm right. not a stranger. Right. But I shouldn't be picking him up. So it's kind of like one of those things, the word stranger, I guess, isn't isn't really like, Good enough, I guess, you know? And you think about, you need, and one of the, I was listening to something, reading something, doing all the shit you do when you research. And something that I read said the, basically the, the theory behind or the idea behind don't say stranger danger is because you need to, your children may need to ask a stranger for help. That's a good point. So they don't need to be scared because if, if they if you're running down the road because you've just ran away from somebody and another man approaches you and is like, "Hey, come here, let me help you." They're going to be terrified. And they're not you're still a fucking stranger. I just left it. You know what I'm saying? Or if you're a little kid and you get lost in yes. a department store or yes. Target or something, yes. you can't you need to tell a grown-up that you don't know who is I'm a lost. stranger. Yeah, good point. Ugh. So this show or this whatever is, I was listening to was whatever was saying you need to teach your children who are quote safe strangers a, a security guard a somebody with a name tag that may work at Target yeah or a mother who has children with her or you see what I'm saying yeah. or an old woman you know like your grandma or you know I know that sounds all so t- stereotypical yeah but. And, of course, they're never necessarily safe, quote, unquote. But if a kid's lost in Target. Find a mama and be like, hey, I've lost mama. someone like, hey, we're in Target. The employees are wearing a bunch of red. If you get lost. They have a name to find an That's I mean, that's true. It's like. Don't leave. Yeah, don't leave and go outside and try to find where your mommy's parked. You don't need to be have mercy. Because that's another thing Max said. Well, I'd go out to it and see if I could find your car. Don't do that. I don't listen, parents deserve medals. I don't know how y'all do it. I'm gonna get you one of those little backpacks with a leash on it, like you had when you were little. I do not blame people for that trend. I'm like, that's a good idea, especially at zoos. I'm like, well, and they're cute, they look like backpacks. Like, yes, put that little monkey backpack with the long tail. Yeah, I'm like, that's a good idea for a zoo and for just in general. Stranger danger, it's a lot to fucking warn your kids about, or don't say that word anymore. Sorry. Let me rephrase that. Well, yeah. And that's a, like your intro. That was, it's like, you're like, who is a stranger? Is this a stranger? No. no. A neighbor's not a stranger. Or somebody that you've like, been over to their house one time. Like, but your neighbor can, yeah. shouldn't be. I, we got a DM or something and I was trying to find it today because I wanted to give them credit and read it so I didn't mess anything up. Someone sent us a message. Can't remember where. But they are basically saying to use a password. Or like a code with your kid in terms of if an adult picks you up, even if I tell you to, or let's say like something happened, someone would have to pick up the kid. Mm -hmm. 
they need to know a code, mm-hmm. like a, let's just say spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Like, you'd be like, okay, well, what's the code? And mm-hmm. they'd be like, your mom told me to tell you spaghetti. And then, like, that's the hint to the kid, like, okay, it's she safe. knows the word. My mom told me that's okay. Or I love that. Something. I can't remember who said it, but they they said something along the lines of either them or someone they knew or their kid was supposed to be picked up by an aunt and mm-hmm. it was legit supposed to happen and they forgot the code and the kid wouldn't get in the car with them. Well, I mean, but it's like, that's exactly what you want to happen. Yes. You know? But I'm like, that's a really good idea to have a little, like... That's a fantastic idea. I'm going to have to do this What's the password? And then... Our password's going to be something completely bananas. And then, like, obviously, if it's a stranger... Or not a stranger, but if it's someone who's nefarious, Mm -hmm. be like, do not give them hints. They know it or they don't know it. No no hints. No hints. (laughs) Just know it or you don't know it. Bye, hit the road. I thought that was a good idea. That's a fantastic idea. This is going to be a long episode. Sorry. Let's take a quick break. And my case is not about children. Thank God. All right. So my case is not about children. And it's, of course, it's true crime. It's not as sad as yours. It's more crime heavy than murder heavy, if that makes sense. And I'd never heard about this before, and I've never heard a podcast cover it. And I think it's just because it's more about the messed up crimes instead of the murder, if that makes sense. yeah. When I tell you my case is centered around a fourth generation family business, it probably shouldn't come as a huge surprise that it also involves theft, fraud, corruption, and murder. All the things. Yes. So before I tell you about the business, let me set the scene. Los Angeles in the 80s. Neon lights, punk rock, big hair, extreme fashion, preppies, and a lot of smog. In March of 1985, Careless Whisper by George Michael was a Billboard hit single. That's still a Billboard hit single in my mind. Same. Sunset Boulevard was the place to be for musicians, and the subculture of skateboarding became popular. What a time to be alive. You were an infant, weren't you? I wasn't alive yet. (laughs) What year was this? 85. Oh, shit. Uh, She's like, I wasn't I even, was pretty, I wasn't even in my utero. My parents hadn't even met, no. Oh my God. <laughs> I was six. Stop. But <laughs> yeah, life in LA in the 80s was anything but boring and simple. During the summer of 1985, the city was panic stricken by a serial killer who crept into his victims' homes at night. <gasps> he was dubbed the Night Stalker. Mm. But beyond the notorious killers of the 80s were less obvious monsters. Like David Sconce. Ever heard of him? No. All right. Well, buckle up. So originally, David Sconce wanted to follow in his father's footsteps and become a football player because his dad, Jerry, played for the University of California in Santa Barbara and ended up becoming the head coach at Azusa Pacific College. David enrolled at Azusa in 1974, but he ended up dropping out. He tried playing football, but his team had a pretty big losing streak. He wasn't that great, and that kind of hurt his chances, obviously, at making it big. So after he dropped out, he had a few odd jobs here and there, and then he tried to enlist in the police academy, but it turns out that one of the tests he had to take to get in showed he was colorblind. 
So that was a no-go. So he you couldn't can't be get a cop in. if you can't see red? They've kind of changed things from what I've read. It, it changes, though, from state to state. So, yeah, some states, if you're colorblind, and I was kind of reading it, and it makes sense. Like, for example, you're ha- getting a witness statement, and you're having to recount what colors things were. Or, well, it makes so sense. So it kind of makes sense. Like attention sense. to detail. Yeah. So eventually... By the persuasion of his family, he went back to school so that he could join the family business on his mom's side. He studied to become an embalmer, yeah, so that he could work at the Lamb Funeral Home in Pasadena, which was founded by his great-grandfather in 1929. This has been around. Yeah. David wasn't thrilled about embalming school, but it's because he thought it was boring. Well... It's not wrong. To me, that's, I'd be like, no, it's just, ooh. But he had piqued an interest in the cremation business. In 1982, he used two of the crematory furnaces from his family's funeral home business to start his own cremation company, Coastal Cremations, Inc. And cremations weren't, like, super popular at this time either. It was kind of the beginning, I suppose, of the cremation boom. I don't know what else to say. Well, you know, like, it's pretty popular now to get cremated versus buried. We're in the in the 80s, in the early 80s. I don't know the statistical <laughs> goings-on of, well, death. So he had a lot of ideas for generating business. Ooh. He was going to offer the cremation service for less than half of the industry standard at the time at $55 a body. Well, I mean, I could see why people would jump on that because it's expensive to bury somebody. Oh, yeah. I Googled it. And today, the average cremation cost ranges from $2,000 to $7,000, depending on the type of cremation. There's different types? Exactly. I didn't even know that. With these low costs, his business was on fire. I'm sorry. Nerd. <laughs> he was doing he was doing pretty well for himself. Well. By 1985, Coastal Cremations was burning over 8,000 bodies a year. Oh, shit. With two furnaces that were running at least 18 hours a day. Ugh. Okay, so I googled four types of cremation. Cremation plus a traditional service, cremation plus a memorial service. Oh. Direct cremation without a ceremony or cremation with a body donated to science. How the fuck do you do that? How do you cremate and then donate your body to science? Mm. There's you can't gotta pick a lane. You can't I don't know. Burn I'm me just up speculating. I know nothing. Maybe somebody. some organs go and then the rest. You know what I mean? Some people it says some people donate their entire bodies to oh, okay. organizations that conduct scientific research. In this case, the organization handles the cremation and pays for it since this is the only suitable disposition method after all tests and, ex- and experiments conducted on the body are oh, complete. Okay, so that makes sense. They'll go and zip-zap whatever they They're want. They're not just taking every... Yeah. And then they'll... Hmm. Well, I mean... I mean, I know you can uh, donate your entire body for, like, med students and yeah. all that, but oh, God. But then what do they do with the body when they're done with it? That's a good question. I don't know. Oh, go Oof. ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. That's interesting. So basically, yeah, 8,000 bodies a year, two furnaces. This was not in accordance with the law, if you can do the math there. So, 
According to state law, the standard procedure for cremating a dead body was that only one could be burned at a time. Right? Like you put a body in in, in a small furnace and... Yeah, it's my turn. Yeah. And then it's your turn. So burning one body takes several hours. And after it's burned, and after the body's burned, the furnace would need to cool down because the ashes get collected. Sure. So that makes sense. There's one body at a time. The body, it cools down. You get the ashes. You collect it. You know, all that thing. And then you clean it. And then put the next body in. Clean it in terms of, you know what I mean, just... You spray it out? I don't... I didn't get that far. Probably sweep. I don't know. So, obviously, 8,000 bodies a year, two furnaces, you're not following this protocol. They were actually burning anywhere from 5 to 18 bodies at a time. 18 bodies per furnace. Holy fuck. So the ashes, of course, mix together. Yeah. Can I just be be an asshole for a second? Does it matter? I mean, my dad was cremated. I couldn't. A, I've never seen the box or anything. It got delivered, and Max's dad took it and put it somewhere, and I told him, don't ever tell me where it is. It's just how I deal with it. Well, yeah, yeah. But, But, But here's the thing, like, I couldn't tell you if I saw them. Well, I'm, that's not you, my dad. No, but you would you wouldn't know, obviously. Right. But if you had, it's just like respecting the dead. Sure, well, I mean, no, I that get part, that. But I mean, like, no, you wouldn't know. But if no, you I had l- yeah. later found out, that's Joe it's Schmo. Disturbing, a hundred percent. You know what I mean? If, yeah. you, if you're like, this isn't my dad at all. This. Oh yeah. Some no. people display the ashes. Some people. I'm getting Charlie's ashes back. I they just. Got delivered to my mom today. I'm going to pick them up and I'm going to get a ring made out of his ashes. Mm-hmm. And she double checked that it was the right ashes because I'm her child. I guess I, guess I just didn't know but that it's like, this stuff. Maybe I'm naive. Well, no, no. It's just like, for example, like it would really hurt me if I found out, oh, these aren't your dog's ashes. There's some this of This is a cat. It's just in terms of. No, I get you know, that. No, 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 no. Yeah. But. You mean like from a perspective of would you know or not? No, you wouldn't know. Yeah, that's what I meant. No, you not, wouldn't. I absolutely know that it would fucking devastate people, but like in retrospect, if you found out. But yeah. I'm like. No, you you probably would not. How would you? You wouldn't. Yeah. You wouldn't know. Mm-mm. Weird. So. So weird. To know kind of like how much to give people because obviously people weigh differently and it matters based on female to male all that stuff my face i know there's a lot to this zach needs to listen to this our funeral friend he works in the biz but so they had to give the ashes to loved ones so they would collect 3.5 to 5 pounds for a female and 5 to 7 pounds for male a male so it looked accurate so they're giving people slightly different amounts so it wouldn't just all be, yeah. So these poor families were getting mixed ashes that may have not even had any of their loved ones. It's all just mixed. Oh, like a, eight, um, 18 people's ashes. It's just, just an ashtray dumped it's into a mixed. Mix. So, and this is beyond messed up, but his employees called David Little Hitler. Because of all the bodies like he Auschwitz. burned. It's awful. So disgusting. And he called himself the cremation king of California. And his yeah. license plate on his Corvette read, I burn for you. I B-R-N for and then you. 
That's who swipes on me. This douchebag. Oh. So the cremation company was so corrupt that the employees thought they could break a record and burn 19 bodies at once. They were competing oh. with who could have them. And they were, this is horrible. They were using pokers to contort people. They're oh, just, my God, Lacey. So it's like they, zero no respect. respect. Like totally. Jesus Christ. Just to, total disregard for these are. Somebody's mom's dad's These are people. wives, husbands, children. Oh, my God. And I'm like, how did this many people work somewhere and they just don't care? But There are a lot of assholes in this world. Oh, yeah. So because they crammed 19 bodies in at once, this resulted in the crematorium catching on fire because it blocked the chimney. Good. That's what they get. So this didn't stop the business because he secretly opened a new crematorium in a warehouse in Hesperia, California, which was about 70 miles away from his old one. He did lie about what the business was, though, and he operated under the license of a ceramics factory. Oh, I know. So he had another cover story that they were using the larger ovens to make heat shield tiles for a space shuttle. This is just wild. Yeah. To think that this guy is just pulling these lies out of his ass. David was a greedy son of a bitch, pretty much, and found ways to make extra money by doing other corrupt things. He paid his employees under the table for them to pull out gold fillings of the mouths of the bodies. David called this popping chops and making the pliers sing. He would sell the gold to a friend of his in the jewelry industry. This made him an extra six grand a month by just plying out body. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. I, mm. In July of 1986, David and his parents created a new side business, Coastal International Eye and Tissue Bank. Tissue donations required the consent of the next of kin, so David's mom was in charge of getting the deceased's family members to sign the proper paperwork, but sometimes she had to trick them into it. But if they refused, then they would just forge the paperwork anyway. Like his other ventures, he handled the tissue harvesting in total disregard. He would use crowbars, screwdrivers, pliers, or other tools to extract the organs. In just three months, they sold 136 brains at $80 each, 145 hearts at $95 each, and 100 lungs, $60 each, for use in medical schools. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Employees said David would lift and carry cardboard and close corpses around the facility for exercise. This is just all. This. He would use a crowbar to crack open sternums and store eyeballs in Coca-Cola cans. Because he's like, well, they're not going to know anyway. That all this stuff is gone or blah, blah, blah. It's going to be ashes in, like. He also sold plenty of parts on the black market. And he did not keep a paper trail. So we don't know even how much money he made right. from that. So a ton, probably. His new cremation was only in business for two months when someone living nearby called in an air quality complaint in December of 1986. They explained that a ceramics factory was nearby. And that's what the cause of all the smoke was. The guy on the phone yelled back, don't tell me I don't know what burning body smells like. I was at the ovens at Auschwitz. 
This was a Holocaust survivor. Holy fuck. Can you imagine what memories that triggered? Total PTSD. You smell that and you're like, oh my no God. Instantly. And they're, t- they're like, no, this is bodies. I know. I know. It's like if you've ever. You don't forget no. that. You do no. not forget. Oh my God. No. I. And this comment worked because the local fire chief went to investigate the so-called ceramics factory. When he arrived, he saw that everything inside was covered in soot. Trash cans were filled with ashes and prosthetic devices. Major red flag if someone's, you know, making some pottery. He decided to open up one of the kilns and a human foot that was on fire fell out. Holy shit. This was the beginning of the end for David. Finally, he was being legitimately investigated, and then more and more corruption was uncovered. Turns out, he employed several of his old football buddies as muscle to intimidate funeral home directors into doing business with his crematorium. They would also either scare or beat up anyone who might rat them out. Scare or beat up? What are they... I know, this is so wild. One time, an editor of a mortuary industry newsletter started asking David questions about his business. David thought he might be on to him, so he paid two of his guys to go over to the editor's house, dressed up as police officers. They beat him up and then threw hot sauce and ammonia into his eyes. What the? Mm -mm. These people are just messed up. Another time... David sent one of his men that was a 245-pound ex-football player over to beat up one of his rivals in the crematorium business named Timothy Waters. Allegedly, Timothy was on to David. Just two months later, Timothy died, and they thought the cause was a heart attack. Until the autopsy revealed traces of the heart medication called digoxin, D-I-G-O-X-I-N, in his bloodstream. He didn't take heart medications, so speculate what you will. Oleander, which is a poisonous tree commonly found in California, also mimics the effects of digoxin, and I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. So it's possible that he was slipped some oleander and not that medication. David Sconce's 1989 trial resulted in a five-year prison term for mutilating corpses conducting mass cremations, and have his employees rough up three rival morticians. This is so messed up. I know. It's like the underbelly of cremation. No kidding. During David Sconce's trial, one of his associates testified that David had bragged about slipping something into Timothy Waters' drink at a restaurant shortly before he died. This led the state to charge Sconce with poisoning Waters the following year, But those charges were dropped after three toxicologists could not agree that Oleander was, in fact, the cause of death. They just couldn't tell. David only served two and a half years of his five-year sentence and was released in 1991. He did have a lifetime probation, but violated it several times. Once, he sold forged bus tickets in Arizona, and another time he tried to pawn a stolen gun in Montana. It was just a mess. This is like Better Call Saul, but the mortuary edition. Because of breaking his probation, he was extradited back to California, and then he pleaded guilty to conspiring to hire a hitman to execute another rival. So he's truly just killing rivals. He'll just do whatever he wants. Oh, yeah. 
In 2013, he was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison and is eligible for parole this year in 2022. David's parents, Jerry and Lorianne Lambsconce, were convicted in 1995 on 10 counts each of unlawfully authorizing the removal of eyes, hearts, lungs, and brains for bodies prior to cremation. So they knew about this stuff. They were each sentenced to three years and eight months in prison and were left penniless after settling a 15.4 million lawsuit from the victims' families. They initially faced 67 charges, but they threw their son David under the bus, so they got out of most of the most of them. So they're like, "It's all, it's all yeah, him. It's him. him. Yeah. We'll tell you anything you want to know." This family is so messed up. So, because of David's mockery of the cremation business, California has passed new laws that expanded the resources for state inspectors and authorized them to be able to inspect these on demand. And if you want to read more about this case, because it's freaking wild, and there's a lot more. There are two books written about it called Chop Shop and Mm. A Family Business. Mm, Not Chop Shop. So the Lamb Funeral Home building was eventually sold to another funeral home in the mid-90s. Then that venture failed and it was vacant. Then in 2015, an L.A.-based paranormal investigation group suggested that the building might be haunted. 100% that. Oh, In 2018, a light bulb distributor purchased the building and turned the second floor into a three-bedroom apartment available for rent for $4,700 a month. Holy shit. I know. On February 19th, 2019, a reader of the paranormal website commented on the blog about Lamb Funeral Home that his or her mother-in-law's body was one of those mistreated by David. They wrote, quote, In case you were curious, in a class action suit... The mishandling of your loved one's remains is worth about 1200 a body. Another person commented in 2021 and said, quote, I wonder how they came up with the amount of that settlement. My grandfather was a victim and my mother received $20,000. My grandfather's remains were tested. However, the results were never released to my mother. Maybe that made a difference in the settlement amount. Like meaning, like maybe maybe it was something. It's t- they're totally not a single not one of his even, ashes, yeah. so they get more. This is just speculation oh on my comments, God. right? So my sources were an article on cracked. This is where I found it by Dan Fritchie, an article on Topic.com by Angela D. Avignon, and a connecting directors article by Patricia Hartley, and a blogspot post by Haunted Los Angeles. Woof. So that's. Like I said, not super murder heavy, but I that's mean, equally, freaking nuts. No, that's crazy. That is insane. I don't, I, but I guess you don't think about that. Because like whenever, again. I certainly don't think about the underbelly of the cremation dad, industry. No, when my dad was cremated, I never. And you're mourning. You're not thinking about all the details on what are they doing. You know what I mean? You don't think about, you just assume they're being honest people. And there's people like David Scotts who might be cutting out brains and freaking selling them to med students. I'm not saying all people do that. Obviously not. I don't know. Maybe unpopular opinion, but it, I don't know. If I found out that like, okay, your dad was sent to this mortuary and before they cremated him, they took his eyeballs and his brain out. I don't, I mean, I feel like I'm still so not 
what's the word? Well, I think you see what I'm saying. Everyone's different. Everyone is different. One hundred percent about like one hundred percent. Like my like my grandfather when he died. If anything would have been ever said that anything. My crazy Italian family would have lost their fucking minds and just murdered everybody that had anything to do with that funeral home. Yeah, ever. yeah. It's because I I feel like what you're saying is to you. I'm just no sure talking out my ass. Like you're like, well, it's not them anymore. Exactly. So it's that's exact. Thank you. You know, yeah. and some people just. Oh, my mom would lose her fucking yeah. shit. Yeah, it's just like everyone's different everyone's about that. Different. So I'm not saying yeah. it's okay. No, Please no, no, do not no, misconstrue. No, 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 no. I don't or misinterpret. I don't what think I'm you saying. think this is okay. But I, no, but I'm just like I mean, my dad passed, and it was awful and traumatic. And then, like, I guess I would just not. I'd be like, I just don't want to deal with this again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And some people might have right. done that. Sure. But I'm kind of like they said. Like, what made the difference in? I, How come that person got mm-hmm. twenty? You know what I mean. And I'm that, guessing the testing. I bet so too. I bet they, they can see nothing. Of the that. percentage of oh, it's heartbreaking, though. I think what bothers me the most, not necessarily the ashes, but the fact that they were just cramped. You know, I, now the bodies just all yeah being, and it was like a joke. It was a joke to them. They didn't care. Anyway, we have new patrons. Let's switch. Let's. We're all over the place today. This is the horrible episode. <laughs> we're talking about horrible things. Sorry. So we have Ashlyn P. from Oklahoma. <gasps> Finally. So, okay. So, no, we already had two Oklahoma. No, no, no. Those are, okay. Those are up to date. So this is Ashlyn. Oh. The the orange is, <laughs> oh. po- I'm pointing at our little board. That's Ashlyn. She's orange. And Emily, that's, she's green. So they both joined almost at the same time. But I had already done my notes for the yeah. last time we recorded. So I didn't have Ashlyn's name yet. So let's just say they're both tied for being the first. Perfect. So, yeah, I just went to Oklahoma City for My Chemical Romance. It was a quick concert, but I had Oklahoma City's fun. Found the Gaberhood, loved it, found a disco. Oh, my God, you would have loved it. The disco ball was, like, almost the size of this room, and I'm not even kidding. Um, yeah. It's called Angles in Oklahoma City. Um, if you know, fun. you know. It's, it was so cool. You would have – we're going to have to go back, and you're going to have to go. You'd love it. Do, do, do. We also have Miranda G. from – Utah. They some of yes. you, how do you say is it a Utahan? Utahian? I don't know. I didn't get that far. Utah. Utahian. Well, thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Miranda. Yeah, I haven't put your pen in yet, but we will. We're kind of covering some space now. And our new patron, Tammy D, that I mentioned last week. I didn't know her address yet. She's from North Dakota. So we're just le- we are Ashley's eyes bugging out. It's exciting. So I'm excited. I gotta put the pens in, but we're getting there. Exciting. She's the one that has an aunt that owns a bar up there. Remember, they like are all about the bars. Yes. Sounds like a fun state. Sounds super fun. We also had some book suggestions because we were asking about that from Tracy P. She said she enjoyed Where the Crawdads Sing. Have you I've read that? I've not read it. I have it. You can borrow it. Have you read it? it? It was good. Yeah, I liked it. I haven't seen the movie. I don't know that I will because I don't. I already know the ending. So unless it's different. Sometimes the movies are. Well, I'm not it saying. It just kind of depends. I don't know. Um, she's also reading currently Verity. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And she said it's pretty creepy. Isn't that that green sauce that they put on your burrito? What's <laughs> called? Verde? Whatever. Girl. 
You're like, you're like, this is a Spanish book. (laughs) Oh, Lord. It Verity. I've heard about this. A girl at Rocktown Distillery mentioned this. Really? I'm always meeting randos. She's like, hey, I'm reading this. I don't even know why she told me that. She looked at me and she's like, I'm reading this book called Verity right now. Our UK patron Kelly messaged us. And remember, she lives in a village. (laughs) Well, in the States, we'd call it the country. So basically, <laughs> she lives in the country. So that makes sense. She said you can basically smell cow shit and hear sheep 24-7. Oh, my God. Sheep are scary to me. Sheep? <laughs> no, they're not. They, they're just, no. I'm going to be a sheep. It's like a goat. I'm going to be a lamb for Halloween. Are goat. You? I love goats. Goats are the goats? son of the devil. Oh, well, that's why I love them. No, no I'm just apparently. joking. No, not for me. So I was like, that's most of Arkansas, Kelly. So, uh... Not so much Little Rock, but you go 15 minutes in most directions. Less sheep, more cows, horses, chickens, goats, some sheep. Anyway, oh, and we have a small correction and clarification from our, I think it was Oregon Part 2 episode, the one where we're talking about the runes. Oh. The runes, yeah. Yes. We were talking about the runes and we something along the lines of them not being or maybe being Wiccan voodoo stuff. It was just said like off the cuff as a joke. But we do know, both of us know, that Wiccans and voodoo are not the same religion. We could have phrased that more clearly, and we did not mean to suggest that Wiccans are harmful to others or sacrifice people. I don't think, I mean, do you, are there any religions right now that sacrifice people, like that are actual religions? Girl, I haven't looked into I it. Have I mean, not I don't think so. into that. Maybe there are. I don't think Wiccan. I, obvi- well, I, last time I checked, it's very illegal to sacrifice a human. Yes. <laughs> On yes. any accord. Yeah. You can't do it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You can't even do cut an eyeball out of a not even out of a dead person that is being cremated. Well, you just yeah. can't. Don't touch you, other people. Yeah, and I mean, the Wiccans I know are they're peaceful. They love nature. I they are not. They're not. No, they're not doing bad stuff or whatever. But anyway, I'm not I'm not coming for any religions here except Scientology. <laughs> Oopsie. Oh no. Oh no. Abort. No, but that's a whole other podcast. So basically, the guys who were using the runes and committing the murders, they were rogue. They were following their own work. They were just views. making shit. They were just up. they They're, they weren't we don't they no. weren't a part of anything. We don't believe that. Okay. So quick TV talk. I'm caught up on American horror stories oh. and I did not love the Milkmaid episode. I told you it was That's misleading. Gross. I told you it was gross. You didn't believe me. It really grossed me out. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to give away a spoiler, but. It's disgusting. That's freaking nasty. It's disgusting. I finished Evil season. What season was that? Three. Mind blown. Well, yeah, but I'm like, I need more questions answered. Nope. You're not going to get them. Uh, I'm never going to get them. Mm, I don't even know. You're going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil anything, but well, what are you watching? Um, I watched The New Orphan. The new movie. It's good. We need to like, you know how people do stars, how many stars. We need to make our own little thing. How many, I don't know. How many something. How we'll come up with it. Put, mark that down. What would you rate it? The orphan? The mm-hmm. new orphan? Um, it was not scary. Okay. I think I was disappointed because I thought it was going to be um a scary movie. And okay. it was not. It was more of a thriller. It was good. Like psychological. Psychological yeah. thriller. Lots of <gasps> Moments. Okay. If you are looking for something to make you shit your pants, this is not the movie for you. It's not scary like that. Mm-hmm. There's no, no, it's not. Well, that's so. good to know. But let me tell you, um, September the 2nd, which is coming up, House of Hammer 
comes out. Yes. On Discovery. Dang it. I'm getting real sick. <laughs> Welcome to my TED Talk about how sick I am of all these freaking different things that I don't have. Well, you're have just going to sign up for months of blah. Devil in Ohio is coming out, too. I want to see that. I'm going to watch sure. both of these. Don't you'll I'm, watch them in two minutes. I'll watch them. I'm, I, it comes out. I'm watching. It. I'm a homebody now. I, yeah, I know. I'm like, I can't wait. I wanted to have a movie night. And Sorry, you're I like, it oh, you. I saw Orphan. I won't. I couldn't see. You're so nice because you wait for Sam to watch things. Yes, I would. I guess maybe I'm that's just, why I'm single. No. I would be the worst partner ever because I'd be like, oh, you mean when you were at work? I watched the last. Of that I think episode. my thing is I'm just used to doing that, so no. I've been like trained into like. Not waiting on anybody. <laughs> yeah. But there's well, a show coming out that the movie that I sent you that I want to go watch. The Invitation. Yeah. I have seen previews for that. It looks good. We should go watch that tomorrow night. Like, yeah. We'll see. We'll see if it's is it out? Like is it comes it, out tomorrow. Oh, okay. Oh well. There's a showing at seven PM down. at the Headlice Theater. Stop. No <laughs> headlines. It's not I'm, anymore. It's nice now. Not anymore. It's nice now. They still want there. Oh my gosh. Where are we next week? Nebraska. Nebraska. What is that? The Corn State? Corn Huskers. But I don't know if that's what they're called. That's just their sports thing. Oh, we probably just offended everybody there. Oy vey. All right. Bye. Bye. 